You're listening to the Effective Statistician, episode number 23, Leadership Learnings with Walt Offen. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. In today's episode, we'll chat about 10 leadership lessons together with Walt Offen. Walt Offen is probably the most influential leader in statistics that I actually know. So he's super humble, so um, you may not get from the discussion how much he knows about all the different things, but he has so much of an in-depth knowledge and is such a great guy. I very, very much uh, enjoyed everything together with him. And he's so, so humble, you know, just, just a short story. First time I met him personally was at a leadership development uh, opportunity where I flew over to the headquarters and I sat down with him um, just during a break and he was asking me all these different questions and I said, well, Shouldn't I, I be the person to ask questions here? Um, but he is so curious, so humble and, and really very, very much interested in people and people leadership. And so stay tuned. This episode is really very much longer than the usual ones, but there's so much really, really great stuff in it. Just when re-listening to it, I found it very, very inspiring. So stay tuned. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today. For develop further your statistical capabilities and get access to special interest groups, the video on demand library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. Today I'm actually alone here hosting this podcast because my uh, co-host Benjamin Pieske can't make it for some other work today. Uh, because we also, of course, have a, another regular job that we are paid for. and uh, But I'm together with um, an old colleague of mine, uh, Walt Offen, that uh, used to work for Lilly and is now working for Epfi. Um, hi, Walt. Okay. Thank you, Alexander. Um, just a little bit of background on myself for those who, who don't know who I am. I um, received a PhD in 1980 from University of Florida, and I went directly to Lilly. And I worked at Lilly for 31 years. I retired in 2012. And, uh, and after a weekend of retirement, I started work at AbbVie, and I've been at AbbVie since then for about six years now. And um, one, a couple of comments to start. Uh, one is that during my time at Lilly, a, a group of us, about six of us, organized a leadership program uh, for statisticians at Lilly, and Gary Sullivan has taken that to the 
ultimate in, in that he is involved in ASA leadership programs today. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is as Alexander and I talk about uh, leadership attributes and ideas on how to develop those, I don't consider myself an expert in all of them by any stretch. I think there are a large number of them where I see that I can improve. And um, I wanted to just mention that disclaimer to start. So with that, uh, Alexander, you want to? Yeah, very good. Thanks a lot. So so basically today we will go through um, 20 attributes of highly successful leaders uh, based on Walt's experience. Uh, and obviously, as he had just explained, his very long experience. And um, that's why I'm very, very happy is that we kind of have this distilled into these 20 um actually quite actionable things uh, to consider. Today will be actually the first episode where we cover the first 10 of this list of 20. And next week, you can hear then about the other 10. So let's start with the first one. Uh, Walt, what's the first one on your list? So the first one on my list uh, is having a can-do attitude. And um, and what I have seen throughout my career are people who, who don't, uh, who don't just kind of be passive and wait for someone to suggest that they do something, but rather they, uh, they see what needs to be done and they make it happen. And, uh, and, and that's something I would say for, for fresh graduates that have no experience, it's more difficult, but as they gain experience, they sometimes are the ones with the greatest knowledge in a group setting and can actually inspire other people. So one thing that I just realized I forgot to mention early on, which I'll say right now, is uh, a difference between managing and leadership. Um, leadership is for everyone, and it's really important for a successful organization that everyone has leadership skills and continues to develop them. And um a definition that we had at Lilly, and, and I still have it in my mind, a very simple definition is leadership is the ability to inspire others without authority. And if you think about that for just a minute, uh, it makes it kind of actually difficult for a very senior manager to show leadership because a senior manager can go to their subordinates and say, I want you to do so-and-so, and they'll do it. So yes, they're following the person, but it's, it's challenging and important for the leader, for the manager, I should say, to do it in a way that uh, inspires the people to follow them. So, like I say, uh, everyone should be a leader and, and strive to be a leader. And the simple definition is uh, the ability to inspire others without the authority to make them do what you think they need to do. So the can-do attitude is for everyone. Um I'll, I'll give you some examples. <clears throat> I'll give you an example of myself first, uh, and and I and I and I call it just volunteering for things. Uh, in my career, first ten years or so, I did very little, if anything, externally. I gave some talks externally, but I did very little. And and then I realized, you know, I can be more active in in the profession, and and so I volunteered to join a farmer group, which has just been disbanded uh, almost ten years ago now. It was called Biostatistics and Data Management Technical Group. And so I volunteered to join that group. And, uh, and I volunteered for other activities and ultimately became the chair of that 
uh, organization for a couple of years and then past chair and so on. That gave me an opportunity to be influential with regulators because that was a key thing that that group did. It was a cross company uh, or a group of about 15 people that included statisticians, programmers, and data scientists um, across different companies. And, uh, and so I just, from there, I, I just latched on to other opportunities of doing some research uh, within that group, publishing it, and having influence on regulators. So volunteering is uh, important. Um, In terms of that, if, what would be the opposite of a can-do attitude? I would say uh, that's a good question. The opposite of a can-do attitude is being very passive. Basically, you know what work you've got to do. You do that work. And then, in a sense, you uh, I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit, but you sort of just sit and wait for the next order, if you will. So uh, the opposite of it is is not really using your brain to help the or the greater organization understand what needs to be done and actually helping drive the team or the organization to to have it done so but the opposite is being very passive very quiet mm -hmm. so so being proactive and proactive and yes seeing where the work needs to be done right. picking it up and and moving with it that's right yeah. yeah 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 another term that's been used i think is uh is uh self-initiation so one and actually you know as as i interview candidates for for jobs at avi that's something i'm looking for I'm looking for somebody that shows some uh, history of, of, of just volunteering, of taking, uh, taking the ball, if you will, and, and, and gener inspiring others really to, to get something done, uh, as opposed to somebody that just takes courses. They might get straight A's, but they, but they don't really show any leadership uh, uh, you know, potential. Great. Very, very so good me, first point. Uh, what's it? Yeah, yeah. I have a little more on the first point. I want to. Uh, I want to say. Okay. Uh, two more things. One. One is. Um, everybody probably has heard people in management say, individuals are responsible for their own career, and in a sense, having you know been when I was in my early age, it's like, what do you mean I'm responsible for my own career? I don't necessarily know what I want or what I need to do. But I think it's important, it's part of this having a can-do attitude is people really need to talk to a lot of other people, learn how to network, um, and just gather information from others. And in the end, it is true. All of us are responsible for our own careers. If we want to um, go to very high levels of leadership, then we as individuals need to figure out with input from a lot of people on, on what we need to do to develop ourselves, to develop those skills. So I wanted to make that comment. And then the other, uh, I want to give one example that, uh, that I still remember from the early 1980s. And it's not, uh, I was part of a team of uh, physician, statistician, programmer, and there were probably six of us. So a few other folks were there. And we had a uh, two week, I remember this very clearly, a two week deadline. And everybody felt uh, initially as we got together, feeling like we can't do this. We can't do this in two weeks. It's not doable. Um, and so one individual who was a CRA, clinical research associate, I think was the term at the time, inspired everybody and just said, we can do this. We can, we can make this happen in two weeks. And sure enough, the team did. We came through. And to me, that, that example has 
has been in my mind for most of my career that being able to not not necessarily just follow what you know this is supposed to take one day this is supposed to take four days and so on and adding it up and saying it's going to take us three weeks i think if you have a can-do attitude and you and you really focus on it there are many things great things that can be accomplished so i wanted to share that um example there Yes, that's, a, I think, a very, very good point. And I think the point with the CRA clarifies that it it's not about management or not about role power. It's about the relationship powers that you can develop to, to influence and inspire others because the CRA had no kind of role power in the sense that he was a supervisor in any things. And, and also what's interesting... He had, of course, no kind of special expertise power in kind of making this thing. It was just about how he, you know, convinced others to do it, right? And 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 inspired others. Let's, you know, think outside of the box to find solutions on how to get it done in in two weeks. Yep, that's right. Yeah, good. Yeah. Let's move on to point number two. Okay, which is. Oh, very interesting one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I have the second one is, and by the way, these are in no particular order for those on the phone. It doesn't mean the first one's most important or anything. I, I created this list just as it came to my mind. Um, but this is important, I think, being able to apologize. Now, um, <clears throat> in a way, some uh, I'll say this too. Some of these points uh, have more relevance to managers, senior people. This one, I, I I kind of think of it in that term, but it can apply to all of us. So everybody makes mistakes, and and I've known people that are on both extremes. Some who will never say I'm sorry or say that was my fault. I I I, I take the blame for that, and then there are others who apologize quite readily. Where I um. Where I, where I make this point is that for senior leaders in particular, if something goes wrong, uh, honestly, often that senior leader wasn't even aware. So in a sense, you could say, well, they don't need to apologize. It wasn't them. But it is their people, their organization, and they should be able to take the bullet for their people. And interestingly, there are some very recent examples. I've got three, and I'm just going to mention them very quickly. But um, uh, just recently in Philadelphia, in Starbucks, uh, a couple of African-American uh, customers were, were there, and the police came in, they arrested. I don't know if everyone knows this story, but it's making a big splash here in the United States right now, where people are uh, uh, avoiding Starbucks and so on. The CEO came out uh, uh, on the news and and accepted the blame, said, we're going to make changes. We're going to train our people. This is not acceptable. And and that is so critical. Uh, there are other examples. I won't go into the uh, other good ones, but there are other examples where uh, the senior leader takes several days or even never comes out and says, this is on me. I'm, I'm sorry this happened. Um, I'll also use this opportunity to say what you're going to see in, in my comments throughout these uh, sessions is uh, I draw a lot of analogies to uh, from leadership to sports, to raising children, and to uh, military. And, um, and, and I just mentioned that now. And actually, I guess I could say to other businesses as well. Uh, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the main thing I have to say. Why? 
why is this apologizing so important for a leader? What kind of doesn't it make him look weak? Good question. I think it's the exact opposite. Um, so, uh, you know, if you if picture, you know, us on a team, we have a supervisor, we make some mistakes and other people notice it and they criticize. So they criticize the department. Uh, a leader who just says, well, that was Alexander's fault. Uh, what a, I'm, I can't believe he was so dumb about it or whatever. And that's going to make you not feel very good about that leader. You're not going to have trust. You're not going to have um, respect. As opposed to a leader who's willing to take responsibility for it. And the leader, again, doesn't have to be a supervisor. It could be just somebody on the team that says, look, this is uh, my fault as much as yours, even though maybe it was somebody else's fault. Being able to share the blame means everybody that that trust connection, that re that relationship connection has just been fortified. Um, and that's why I think it's that important. Well, it goes back to the kind of it trusts, it builds more trust. Builds more trust. And it collaboration and it provides a more safe environment to work in yes and, and yeah. to your question on the other one the opposite would be people pointing fingers and if you think of being on a team where every time there's a little mistake that happens everyone's trying to make excuses well it wasn't my fault it was joe over here um that team is going to disintegrate. They're not going to work well together. No one's going to trust anyone. Everyone's going to be covering their own behind, you know, making sure that uh, it's clear it's not my fault. Uh, boy, that's not a way to move forward. So people need to, to yeah. you know, really say, I belong to this team. Anything that happens is is the team and uh, praise others and don't, don't knock them down and uh, blame them for things. Yeah, and I think also in terms of mistakes, um, in a in a culture where you are not allowed to make mistakes, you'll never see any change, any innovation, anything you know really dramatically happening because people will will just kind of do exactly what they said and stay exactly kind of within their boundaries and you know never do something different, and um, it's it's yeah I I. Say, I, I I think there was a um, a quote I recently read was about if you never make mistakes, you're not innovative enough. Yeah, right. And I think that's true. And and I can say at Avi, and I think it was true when I was at Lilly too, is people were encouraged to take risk. Uh, making mistakes is okay. Uh, it's important to learn from the mistakes, and the risk needs to be a kind of a calculated risk, so you don't just do crazy things that you haven't yep. thought through. Yep. And, of course. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, yep. but that's yep. right. Yep. I think you're right. Without that, uh, I mean, when we talk about kind of different industries and companies, the companies that don't take risk, I mean, uh, I've heard a recent talk where they, they singled out Blockbuster. Blockbuster for a while was, uh, and I don't know if this is in Europe or not, but I mean, they were renting out um, CDs and DVD and uh, sorry, DVDs and videotapes so people could go and watch movies they would rent them out and then netflix comes along and and they start being they they send uh, dvds through the mail and then all of a sudden there's live streaming so blockbuster went out of business and i think nobody there was willing to say let's take a risk and actually change our whole business model and um and so yeah it's very yeah. important to take uh, calculated risk and and really even destroy your own your own business if you will if you want to survive Let's go on to 
topic number three. Okay. So here's one that kind of overlaps, I think, with the first one. I wrote down inspiring others to join the cause without authority. Um, I don't know what what else I can say. Um, uh, I guess other than what I what I will say, maybe I'll use the opportunity with this point to say to to people that as you start your career. Don't feel like you have to be able to do all of these well at all. I mean, there's a period of time in one's career where they're learning. And I encourage, I've actually, I mentor quite a few people at Avi today, and I encourage them to be like a sponge. Go go to webinars, seminars, just learn, uh, not just statistics, but learn the business. And, um, and that's something I don't actually have as one of my points. And um, the inspiring others comes with experience. So as, as, as individuals have experiences that they can relate to the current problem or team, um, that's where they can now begin to, uh, to really demonstrate leadership within that team. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very, very good point. By the way, all these points will be on the homepage uh, of, uh, that you can find at www.theeffectivestatistician.com. And uh, like always, the show notes will be there. So just check back the homepage um, to see all these 20, uh, 20 points that we go through. So let's go to number four. Okay. So the fourth one is to share credit. Um. This is uh, back to a team set where everybody has a different uh, responsibility, different function, and, uh, and and you could think in terms of, let's say, uh, a submission. So that's a big deal. Putting together an NDA uh, for a product, lots of different parts to the wheel or the puzzle, if you will. And um, at the end of the day, it, it's a team effort and a team equally gets gets credit. And so when I wrote this down, that wasn't exactly what I had in mind. So let me say what I had in mind, but that's that's related. So that's part of it. What I had in mind is there, there are times where one team member, and actually I'll use a sports analogy here, LeBron James, probably everybody uh, has heard of him at least. He is leading the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he's obviously the star player. There, uh, argument, many will say he's the best player of all time. Um, if Cleveland advances, they're playing my Indiana Pacers, by the way, <laughs> and I'm going to the game. To, I'm going to the game tonight, so a little bit of trivia for folks. But um, but if Cleveland wins, it's it's although although LeBron will have scored the most points and and really clearly will have made the biggest difference in why Cleveland won the series. Um, But it's a team effort. One player can't do it. It, He needs the other people around him to play, whether it's defense, whether they need to score as well. And so related to that, sharing credit, giving credit to others, again, builds that strong relationship and trust. And so <clears throat> if one is a statistician on a team and you've got programmers working with you, you've got data scientists with you, don't ever forget to bring them along and share the credit with them. Uh, if it looks like, well, yeah, great, I know I did a great job and there's really five people behind you that, that work their butt off um, and you ignore them, that hurts the relationship, that will hurt the next time that you're trying to get them to really 
bust their butts to to help a deadline get met or whatever or to beat a deadline and um and so it's very critical so one one example i'll share not with names or anything but just there are some folks that i have seen in management roles that are are essentially competing with their own people and so for manage managers in particular when when something technical or work gets done they need to almost have the humility and say you know i had minimal impact here the people that did this work and who deserve the credit are the people in my team um, and so sharing credit is, is really critical, again, in the long term, to develop those close relationships and to be successful going forward. Um, people who try to take the credit and just, you know, kind of uh, say, hey, everyone, look at me, are people that others don't like. They won't, they're not inspiring others to follow them. And there are many examples of the bad. There's many examples of the good side of this. In terms of that, um, what would be typical good points to share credit? Um, well, I, I, I think the best example I have, and we can go deeper in this, the best example I have is where uh, a senior leadership team might be meeting. So let's just say it's a, a, a meeting of VPs that are just kind of feeling great because we just made, well, we just got approval. A company just got approval for a very important drug. And, uh, and some might say to the head of statistics and programming, you, you did a fantastic job. Thank you for pulling that through. Um, I think it's important to, 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 and I see this all the time to say, Hey, you know what? It really wasn't, it wasn't me. The people, the people that did the work were just so dedicated, you know, so, so just being, just always thinking about sharing credit when, so, I guess in a way, when somebody singles somebody out, they should think hard of whether they shouldn't say, thank you for, for recognizing my contributions. But I have to say there were a, an army of people that really contributed to this and it was a team effort and it's because of this great team Uh, chemistry and, and dedication to the project, that's why we succeeded. That kind of a statement goes a million miles. And, 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 it's, and it's critical for, uh, for continuing that strong team bonding and relationship. So you would say, that's actually a very interesting point. I was thinking about kind of occasions where, you know, there's lots of people around or in, you know, email communication and things like this. But you would also think about these, these you know, even very small meetings. So maybe even, you know, these yeah. one-to-ones. Um, even in these settings, that would be very good to kind of, yeah. you know, reflect yeah, back I on that. I think so. I think that it goes into almost any setting or really all settings. Actually, that leads us perfectly into point number it five. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, it does. So, so these are related. So five is showing humility. Um, uh, it, 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 and really, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't, until we started this conversation, it didn't really dawn on me. They all, all five that we're talking about have a linkage of, of the future, of building Those strong relationships inspire, being able to inspire others means that one has to have some level of humility. And, uh, and people who go out and just try to take control of meetings and, and just make the focus be on them personally are not showing humility. And that tends to break those, uh, relationships. 
Um, so I consider this to be a very important one. And I can say too, uh, again, going back to the kind of folks that I interview and that I try to hire into my company, um, I look for, for humility. There are folks that come in and they just feel and act like they know everything. Um, and it's interesting that if we were to look at IQ or grades on, on all the coursework that they took, they may have straight A's and they may have high IQs, but they're going to fail as a leader. They're, gonna, they're, they're not going to be able to inspire others to work with them. And um, so humility is, is, is really critical. I, if you speak about interviews, this classic situation comes to my mind where the interview, interviewee first speaks with the AA before he went into the interview. And I think how he speaks with the AA can be very, very telling about this old situation and whether he will get the job or not. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. And actually, I have a fairly recent example where somebody interviewed at AbbVie and um, uh, met very senior people, including myself, and then met uh, a manager of human resources. And that candidate treated that person uh, very disrespectful. And that was a key reason why that individual was not uh, given the job. And so you're right. I mean, People, that's a really good point, Alexander. Uh, people that show humility need to show that uh, respect for people at all levels, uh, including admin, whatever, whoever. I mean, honestly, uh, that's a uh, people that don't have that humility will treat administrative assistants or janitors or other people like that with uh, lack of dignity, and and you know, and that and that doesn't go well. Yeah, and there's just, just a picture picture that comes to my mind uh, where there's President Obama walking through the White House and he greets someone that's just cleaning the floor. And so that is kind yeah. of, you know, that shows everybody participates. There's, you know, you need, yeah. you need all the people to, to, you know, run the government. You know, you need to all the people to get a new drug on the market. You need all the people to, you know, send a person to the moon, yeah, for the NASA if you if you think about that. Right. And and it's not right. just about the senior leaders or the, you know, people with the most expertise, uh, you know, you need everybody. And um, right. I think that is also if you share this shows this humility it also means that you are actually interested in the people. And um, I think that, that goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I completely agree with you. Let's go to number six, because that is also about kind of uh, this building relationship. It is, and uh, a little different than the others, but number six is to be trustworthy and develop trust in others. Um, this is this uh, one thing that's unique to this one, I think, is at least what I was thinking as I wrote it. Um, 
if if you're let's just say now it's a, a statistician and a physician and they have certain work they need to do a certain analysis and we'll even say it's an exploratory analysis so they've done the routine stuff on a study that is just locked and uh, and they see something that's important to look at um, if between the two of them they decide we're going to do these three analyses and the statistician says yeah i i think i agree with you i'll do these and um and it doesn't have to be a deadline kind of thing, but let's just say they, they say, I, I can get this done by Friday. And and Friday comes along and there's nothing, no word, not even a, 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 an email from the or a phone call from the statistician saying, I've run into some issues. It's going to take me longer. That That is, uh, that's not being trustworthy. So, um, it, and it's not just deadlines, but that's one example of it. Um, other things are, um, I mean, it could be almost anything. It could be, <clears throat> it, it, this just came to me. It could be a one-on-one where they, uh, a mentor-mentee kind of relationship or, or even just two people trying to get to know each other. And they're trusting, they're opening up. They're saying, you know what? I had this bad thing happen to me years ago and it's affected my personality or whatever. And next thing, and, and it's meant to be in confidence. And next thing you know, you find out that other person has kind of, shared this with other people. I mean, any of those sorts of things, uh, if you break someone's trust, it takes years, if not never, to regain that trust. Um, And I think we've all encountered people like that, that you just realize you can't trust that person. Another example, which really we um, have kind of touched on already, is where, uh, let's say, a manager and a uh, statistician working on on a project together and and the... um, the statistician works all weekend and evening and, and gets re- does a really great job and shares it with the manager. And then the manager goes off and never even mentions that person. So this is giving credit too, but and not in this example, not giving credit, goes off and starts sharing it with senior management. And it looks like, wow, this, this manager did a great job. Let's promote that person or whatever. That's breaking trust. Um, where now the uh, the statistician or the subordinate will not feel they can trust their own manager. There, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of cases where they don't feel they can trust their manager. I, I could go on. I'll go one more example, and that is, um, I, I may have this later, but I'll mention it now. Uh, for an effective manager, for, for put it this way, for a manager to be effective, to highly effective, they need to develop trust uh, both in their people, but uh, the, have their people be able to trust them. So their person, uh, their statistician may come to them and say, I'm sorry to say this, I don't know anything about survival analysis um, and, and, I'm, and I need help. And, and what you don't want to have happen, and unfortunately I've seen this happen in the past, is at the end of the year, comes time for review and the manager says, you know, you're not that smart. I mean, you, you didn't know anything about, you had to ask me, you had to ask other people that breaks the trust hundred percent. So that person will never seek out the manager for advice. And, um, I forget if I have this later, but I'll mention one, a famous for me anyway, it really stuck with me is I read a book on leadership on Colin Powell, who was the, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Defense uh, chief defense person in the White House years ago, and he was also a general in the uh, military. And he has uh, in that book he lays out I think it's fourteen different leadership traits. The one that always stuck with me is if your people 
fear coming to you with their problems and no longer come to you with your problems, then you have failed as a leader. And that resonates with me a lot too. So I think people, uh, so now I'm more talking about manager versus subordinate. Managers need to be able to encourage their people to come to them with their problems, to help them, help them succeed, set them up for success, and not and not later come back and say, well, you're weak on this, you're weak on that. And so therefore your rating is poor. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it, it's hard, I think, but, uh, and it's something that more people really need to think about. Um, yeah, but I think in terms of that, it, it's also very similar in cross-functional teams. So, so if, right. if, if you, if your medical writer comes to you and say, Can you explain to me how that exactly kind of works and how I best kind of write it up? And you are pushing them away, kind of how stupid I use, you know, things like that. Or um, if, um, if, if, you know, your programmer comes to you and says, um, I've read this piece here in the SAP and I can't make any sense of it. Uh, I have no clue how to implement that. I have never done used this technique. Um, I right. don't even know which kind of you know uh, you know programming code to use. Um, yeah, you need to be really helpful there uh, instead of kind of you know um, calling them out or you know and going directly as thereafter to right. their manager and saying. Um, uh, I, I want another programmer because that's, you know, he, he comes to me with stupid questions. Um, right. As, yeah. By the way, I think that is also a very, very important point in being trustworthy is to, um, is a feedback, is a feedback loop. So um, if you, if there's a problem or if you have a problem with another person, first speak with that person and not kind mm. of go directly to the other manager because that doesn't build a lot of trust. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Alexander. Uh, is uh, and, and that takes some courage too, which uh, means the person needs to be able to speak with that uh, individual with integrity and sincerity and, and not just, you know, yell at them or whatever. I mean, you, but yeah, you should talk to the individual f- first and boy, when, when it works, it's such a great story. I've, I've seen it happen where a statistician who I mentored years ago had great difficulty with one particular physician uh, where the physician was basically demeaning in a big meeting of 20 people or something. And she ended up going to that physician. They had a nice talk and the physician fortunately understood. And then they became friends. And there are, you know, stories uh, like that where two people fight physically or whatever. And next thing you know, they're best friends. Um, and, and that is important that you don't go to the, the senior or the manager and have them try to fix it, at least yeah. not as a first yeah. step. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> we are already uh, quiet yeah. in the time here, but but it's it's really really lots of very very valuable points that we are uh, touching. So so um, let's really keep it going uh, because there's so much okay. 
gold coming here that um, I think is really, really inspiring <laughs> itself. <laughs> so okay. so uh, yeah, let, let's go on to inspiration number seven then. Okay. So seven is engaging everyone on the team, making them feel valued and important. Um, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but, um, but this is uh, maybe more for whoever's leading that team. Although maybe I should make a comment about that. So picture yourself in a team setting, multidisciplinary. Uh, you're the statistician. Um, there is there is always a chair. There is always somebody who is responsible for the meeting. But it's worth me noting that it's important that everybody consider themselves a leader in the sense that if if the discussion goes off topic, everyone has the, uh, I don't know, the, the ability to say, you know what group, we're going off topic. Let's get back on target. And I, I have people that I've seen do this and, and they're fabulous and they're valuable. And I've had people do it to me when I'm the chair and things are going, uh, either we're going into too much detail, we, need, we really should take it offline. Somebody in that room will say, we really should get back to the agenda, uh, take this offline. So I, I'll mention that as part of this one. But um, but as far as making everyone feel valued, uh, you know, there are, uh, I'm sure everyone's been in team settings where there might, let's just say there's uh, 20 people in the room and only three of them are really talking and everyone else is listening. This is a little, this there's a little bit delicate here in, in that, Somebody who's introverted and shy and maybe new, so they, they're, they're really just learning, you don't want to put them on the spot by saying, well, what do you think we should do? Um, but on the other hand, you, uh, as a leader, and it, it could be anyone in the room, might say, you know, there's only three of us talking about this. Let's hear from some of the others. I mean, just saying that opens the door to where others can feel like, oh, okay, they would like to hear my opinion. Doesn't mean the team is going to ultimately follow that viewpoint, but but nonetheless, it's important to hear all different perspectives. And then as a team, the best decision can come out. And so part of it is, is that. The other part of it is just uh, in a team setting, talking about uh, how everybody, <clears throat> everyone in that room has contributed to the success of this project. And the analogy I can draw there, um, I have uh, four daughters and, and I guess three of them in particular played soccer when they were young. And I can remember at the end of every season, uh, the coaches would say some things. And, and there was uh, one particular coach who singled out every one of the players on that team and had something great to say. You know, Laura, you're a fantastic defender. You block shots. You've saved some goals from being scored. Great job. And then the next person, Mindy, you, 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 you're amazing how you can dribble the soccer ball and and fake out the goaltender and score goals. And that that is to me a great example. And the, but this is one where I'm kind of weak on. I think is is being able to say something great about every single person on that team. And, and that can even include the administrative assistance. Like without you, we would be burdened. We wouldn't be as organized and, uh, and so on. So um, that's what I would, I would say is, is part of this, is engaging everyone on the team, but also helping every single one of them feel valued and important. I think in terms of the uh, meeting setting you just talked about, these, these introverts, sometimes it's really good to... You know, if, if you know that these are introverts, 
to speak to them beforehand to make it more safer for them to speak up um, uh-huh. and and kind of that way make them more engaged. Um, the other, I think there's also some other techniques that you can actually do so, so that, you know, um, for example, when, when there's brainstorming, you know, there's very often kind of the extroverts, they say rule the room, but you could do a brainstorming, for example, where first everybody writes down their notes and yeah. then everybody shares them. And that way, you know, everybody is, is, uh, is engaged and everybody yeah. contributes and not only yeah. just the, you know, those that always say something first and then, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. That's a great point. And, and I'll also mention another strategy is to give, and many times the statisticians are quiet. Uh, some of it's culture, some of it's just, the, you know, the select selection of folks that go into statistics. Um, teams, if, when they give those folks an opportunity to, to give a short presentation, or it might be uh, addressing one or two slides in a multi-slide presentation, that helps bring out introverts. And, and actually, that has helped me. I've even said this to somebody recently, that uh, in that kind of a setting where I really get comfortable is if I'm asked to give uh, a short talk, so it might be on why you know what why we have to adjust for multiplicity or whatever in layman type terms, not in a statistical jargon uh, kind of presentation, but having introverts do that, uh, and, and some of some folks when they're extremely introverted, that can be a challenge. But that's how you grow. That's really uh, by doing that, giving these little presentations, people will get better and better at it. And, and that helps people feel more comfortable uh, speaking up in a team setting. And I know I cover some of that a little bit later, but um, yeah. yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, so, so on, on, on the flip side of it is also uh, you, you should engage everybody, but also you should be engaged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think right, that, that's, right. the, that's the flip side of the coin, yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, in terms of that, Kind of related is also topic number eight, actually. Yeah, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. So eight, I have re- remain calm, be kind to everyone. I think it's related in the sense that if somebody in the room kind of gets angry and just and just says very dogmatically, it has to be this way, it shuts everyone else off, and especially if that's the senior manager. So I, I actually went out on a limb not too long ago, giving advice. This is after a couple of glasses of wine, giving advice to uh, my boss's boss and, uh, and just saying, suggesting to him to not, the way I put it is don't play your cards right up front. If you want other people to give their honest opinions, do that first, then you state your opinion. So if the, if a senior leader or the chair of the meeting comes out and says, I think this is the direction we need to go. What do the rest of you think? So many, even yeah. even those that are extroverted might say, okay, I, I agree. That's a great idea. And here's why I agree. <laughs> with you. Um, so um, so stay, remaining calm and being kind is part of it. Um, but what I'm saying now is maybe a different dimension that's just saying, uh, especially when you're the chair or a senior leader, Listen and help others uh, speak their mind, and then you can state what you think should be done and have some discussion about it. But remaining calm, uh, just anytime you have a team setting where somebody is 
expressing anger at what somebody else says or at an individual, it shuts it shuts the whole team down, uh, and uh, and it's not it's not the right place certainly to demean somebody or criticize somebody. Um, you take that offline. I mean, sometimes that has to happen. You give some feedback and say that was not really um, what we needed from you or whatever. I mean, there's nothing bad about giving feedback that can be make someone feel bad, but you don't do it in, in the team setting. And, and my uh, analogy to sports is I've seen coaches, and I don't like these kinds of coaches, that I'm thinking of now uh, college basketball, where uh, a player makes a mistake. Maybe they uh, turn the ball over and the coach brings them over and basically is shouting at them, saying that was really bad, that was stupid. And and they're on national television, you know. So, I mean, everyone sees it. And that player, I think, most people would not react as well as if it was all supportive during the game. But then later, talk to the individual and say, watch that, because that you can do better than that. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, it's, it's lightly yeah. related to this topic. <laughs> I I think um, when I read this "remain calm," I also said about controlling your own emotions and being yeah. aware about your own emotions. Because you know, with this with this coach that you just talked about, you know, of course he's frustrated about you know the mistake of the player, yeah. but. If he can't control his emotions, yeah, and he, he, you know, gets very angry about it and, you know, shouts at people, um, that means, yeah, he, yeah, he, he can't be inspiring anymore yeah. and at that point, yeah. yeah. And I think all the other players will, uh, will think, oh, if that happens, if you make a mistake. Then it's going to be me oh, next, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it is interesting. You know, I think uh, you, you, you see sometimes clips of uh, in the locker room at halftime or whatever, the coach will kind of be shouting and screaming, and, but he's trying to inspire people and he's not singling out. I think he's just saying we as a team, we need to really do better on defense. The team scored 60 points in the first half. Um, and, and these are the things we need to focus on to improve our defense as a team. That's different than singling one person out because you're right. If if that happens and others see it, it's like now I got I can't take risk. I got to be very careful. I don't want to make a mistake, and they're not going to win. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think in terms of uh, this kind of you know, it's not about you still can show emotions. You know, that's that's completely fine. I think it's just that you are in control of your emotions. And not the emotions control you. Right. And then I think you can use these emotions to actually be inspiring. You know, like, like you know, you can be really angry and you can, you know, sh show it also uh, in, in that way that, you know, but, but as you say, in this we talk, you know, and, and that way you, you leverage your emotions to actually, you know, create a sense of, team effort and you know we get out of this together yeah um right. and, and yeah instead of kind of yelling at people yeah yeah and i think it's <laughs> especially in kind of our virtual setting i've seen that multiple times where you know there's an email coming and uh 
you feel really angry about it or you see that someone else felt angry about it and then there's a reply and that gets escalated. Yeah. So so I think that is um, is I think with if you can't even see your the other part, you know, if you don't see the face of the other person, yeah. um, that is especially kind of difficult. Um, also a reason why I think you should always turn on your camera because oh, yeah that helps to kind of uh, see also the intention of the other person yeah. and can help to uh, speak about emotions in a completely different way. Yeah. And for the, and for the listeners, that's what Alexander and I are doing. We have FaceTime. So we see each other's faces. Um, no, they actually let that may, make brings me to a really important point, I think. And, and, and I think being introverted uh, makes this more difficult for some people. I really encourage people when when you can <clears throat> to go to meetings in person. Too often, uh, I mean, the worst, uh, most egregious uh, uh, violation of this uh, principle is somebody, uh, their office is in the same floor and building as where the meeting is, yet they dial in and there's no face. It's just on the phone. So they're just listening in. And, and really for a team to gel you go there in person when, as much as you can. And if it means traveling a mile or whatever, do it. I, I, I really encourage people to show your face, be there in person. And if you're on the phone as much as you can, use a webcam so people in the room can see your face and you can even raise your hand and say, hey, wait, I have a comment to make or whatever. And it, it really makes things go much better. So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it helps to remain calm if you see the other person. That's, it's yeah. because it's not just a, an email address. Yes. There's another right. person on the other line. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, let's move on to point number nine now. Okay, so nine is providing opportunities for others to shine. Uh, very related to some of the others, giving credit to others. But, but this is more, um, I would say... Uh, if somebody is responsible for a team, whether it's a manager with a team of statisticians, giving others opportunities to both uh, grow, so they're they're being challenged, they're giving uh, they're being given responsibility for something maybe they haven't done before, um, and and you can help coach them uh, and give them advice, and that's where it's so important that they feel comfortable coming to the person or the manager or whoever to ask questions, get clarification. Um, uh, you want to encourage that. And then it's a success for them. <clears throat> they get credit for it. They shine. Others see that they did a great job. That does a number of things. One, it, it strength, strengthens the relationship between them, um, makes for greater outcomes down, down the road, and it helps develop future leaders. I mean, for any organization, I feel like this is true no matter how small the organization, all of us benefit if we help younger and others grow in, in what they're able to do and so on. So giving them opportunities means that we're helping develop the future leaders. And um, uh, and, I, and I'll share this story. I mean, I actually said this recently to my current boss is that my goal is to uh, have the people in my organization be able to do their jobs well without me 
my goal, and it won't happen this way, but my goal is that I would retire and no one would even know it. They'd say, well, I guess he's on vacation. I, we'll, we'll just keep going. We know what we need to do. And, um, and that, I think, should be the goal of every leader. Every leader should feel, uh, every manager, but even, even everyone should kind of feel like if I can develop the person that's working with me, then that gives me the opportunity for the next challenge. So it's not just for senior leaders. It's for, for others that might, uh, even individual contributors that might be asked to mentor or coach a brand new employee. If that person brings that person up, then they can take over their role and, and, the, and that statistician, let's say, can, uh, can take a higher responsibility. So there, there's, there's personal or, or selfish kinds of reasons to help bring others forward and help them give them projects where they can shine and feel ownership. Um, and it's good for everyone. Yeah, I think it's, but it's also in kind of, in not from a, or only from a supervisor to um, yeah. uh, employee relationship. It's also peer to peer relationships. True. So, so just as an example, um, when I worked with a physician and we prepared an advisory board, um, he said, oh, I could show these slides, but I think you are in a much better position to show them. So we did the presentation yeah. together. And at that time, it was not very frequent that statisticians at, uh, in this organization would, would be invited yeah. to do that. And it went really smoothly. It helped, I think, and he got also a lot of credit for it because he was responsible for the advisory board. Yeah. And um, the advisors afterwards said, it was really great to have a statistician explaining these kind of things um, because we could ask completely different questions and there was, you know, no, no, uh, no silence about it. And the... Um, so that helps also others to shine is, is, is not only in this situation, it's in many other situations as well, I yeah, think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you can take that same story and say where the statistician is the primary uh, presenter at maybe a project team meeting, um, having, having some uh, more junior statisticians play a part in that presentation does the same thing. It helps them feel more a part of the success of the team and, and helps them shine as well. Yes. Okay. For today, let's go to number 10 now. All right. So number 10, I have putting the organization, colleagues, and the company ahead of personal goals. Um, what I think is important, uh, <clears throat> I think everyone would agree with this, what is important for an organization, and I'll just say for a company, to be successful is if everyone is aligned in helping that company succeed. And in our industry, you know, we're trying to develop treatments that help patients uh, in need uh, to improve human health. And so a uh, great motivation factor, um, some of our treatments treat uh, sick children, um, others help, you know, if we can cure Alzheimer's, how amazing would that be? And, um, and so, so really, even even for somebody who feels like they uh, they early in their career they feel like uh, my aspiration is to be the head of, you know, the VP of statistics. Let's say, even for those individuals, the way to get there is to keep always keep in mind 
the success of the company, your specific organization, and the people around you. The people who go out and basically, uh, you know, run over others that get in the way or whatever, some companies, they may succeed, especially those that go from company to company, I think. But I don't think it's fulfilling. I don't think that company will do as well as one where an individual is able to show the leadership skills by doing by doing this by by really everything that we've been talking about and um, and and putting their colleagues and others uh, really ahead of themselves. And as you, an example you gave, Alexander is a good one where um, where that physician got a lot of credit for uh, involving the statistician, having the statistician present on what they're really expert at. And, and it's a good example of where it's a win all the way around. Um, everyone wins, including the person who gave up a piece of the, the floor time. So. Yeah. I, I think I always think there's something weird going on. If the goals of the individual and the goals of the company don't match. Agreed. That's usually a bad situation. Yeah. Um, be- because then there's a win-lose situation, and you don't want to end up in, in this this area. I think you sh- and you should always strive to align the different goals so that it's um, everybody works in the same direction. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and we have so many opportunities for that. You know, all the companies have um, performance procedures, uh, you know, annual reviews, mm-hmm. uh, objectives, and what have you. Um, just that I think very often these are not taken seriously and they are not connected to the personal development. I remember once that um, my supervisor started with uh, with a yearly development uh, or yearly performance um, cycle with talking, let's first talk about your development goals. Uh, and I said, that's weird. And uh, my supervisor said, yeah, I also thought first that's weird, but my supervisor did the same with me. And it actually was very, very important because that way you can actually see, okay, what am I really interested in for my personal growth? And how can we match that with the company objectives? And then you're double motivated to actually achieve these. And so so I think it's really, really important to create these win-win situations um, and avoid these win-lose situations. Yeah. Completely agree. But I, but I will say that I think there are pockets or, or there are individuals who don't have that philosophy and, and, and it can break down if a senior leader is only looking out for their, themselves. They don't really care about their people as much as they do their own next promotion kind of thing. And, um, and, I, and my point, I guess, is <clears throat> I don't think that leads to the kind of success where not only do they get to a high level, but also the whole organization is performing at, at a great level. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, but, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's kind of not playing for the short term success. Yeah. It's playing for the long, long game. That's, yeah. That's right. yeah. Yeah. Great. We have 
gotten through 10 really, really amazing things. <laughs> and sorry, it took us a little bit longer than expected. Yes, but sir. there were so many really nice stories in it that I, I think we just go for it. Um, and this episode is today a little bit longer than usual, but uh, I think uh, you got so much out of it that it's that it's really really helpful. So thanks a lot, Walt. You're welcome. And stay tuned for next week's episode. Great, thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your colleagues about it. And this episode was just part one, so stay tuned for next week's episode, part two, where there will be much more gold about um, leadership from with Walter often.